0: All right, two places we would need to turn to now. Acts chapter 9 and Acts 22. Acts 9 and Acts 22. I'll read from Acts 9 first. Reading from verse 10. This is following on from uh, Saul's great... Damascus Road Conversion. Verse 10 of Acts 9. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. And inquire the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings. And the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you in the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose. And he was baptized. And then in chapter 22, verse 12. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. For he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him, then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Amen. God uses ordinary people, just plain ordinary people. Ananias was just an ordinary believer. Verse 10, it says, a certain disciple. Disciple. Not an apostle, maybe not even a preacher, not a ruler, probably not an office bearer of any kind, just a certain disciple. Just an ordinary five-eighths, homespun, plain, simple, everyday believer. Thank God for such people because the kingdom of God is made mostly a plain ordinary believers, amen, of which we are one tonight. Of course, in today's world, uh, we attach great importance to the spectacular, to the novel, to the unusual, to the unorthodox. But wouldn't life be uh, a lot duller, in fact, if there was not the plain and the ordinary? How would life be if there was not the sound of birdsong that's common every day, or the sound of a rippling stream, or the sun in the sky, or the moon by night, or the stars? Just ordinary, common things that we're so used to. Some of you couldn't live a day without your wee cup of tea. I don't know what's so special about a wee cup of tea. I stopped drinking it years ago. I used to drink it, and then I thought, "Why am I drinking this? I don't even like this stuff." I'll stop and see if I miss it. Do you know what? I've never missed it ever since. But I know that for some of you, you couldn't go at hardly an hour without a wee cup of tea. Ordinary believers. And so here is this Ananias. We don't know much about him. We just read about it, but that's about it. But we do know he was just a certain disciple in Damascus. But he was unique. He was ordinary, yet he was unique. And to him, the Lord said, in a vision, out of all of the believers that were in Damascus, and there must have been a lot of them, because that's the reason why Saul of Tarsus was going there, because he was going there to imprison them. And out of all of those believers in Damascus... God chose Ananias. Of all of the virgins, God chose Mary. Of all of the shepherd boys, God chose David. Of all of those big sons of Jesse, God chose David. Even to the surprise of the prophet Samuel. Hmm the one that everybody had discounted was the one that God had chosen. Just an ordinary but unique believer in God. Of the 7,000 in Israel that had not bowed the knee to Baal, God chose Elisha to take over from Elijah. There was many prophets. There were skills of the prophets in those days. But out of all of them, God chose Just the one. And he was a farmer as well. And so God gave this man a vision. Extraordinary things can happen to ordinary believers. No doubt he was going about his business or maybe he was lying in his bed, not thinking about anything, not even knowing that Saul was on his way. And suddenly, without any explanation, God turns up and he gives him a very powerful vision of what to do and about this man that he had to go and speak to. God can take ordinary people and use them in very unique ways. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher in Boston. And he was a dedicated Sunday school teacher. And a young man came into his class he was only in his class for two weeks, and he wasn't saved. Now, Of course, when I say Sunday school, in America, Sunday school is not just the little ones. It's young adults as well as even adults. So this young shoe clerk from a nearby shoe store, he came into his class. And God put a burden on Kimball's heart for this young man. And it was so strong that he went one day to the shoe shop and he looked in the window and he waited and waited and waited until he got him alone and he walked in and he put his hand on his shoulder and he says, young man, I am concerned about your soul today. That's all he said. I am concerned about your soul today. And he walked out. And young Dwight Lyman Moody When he left, he says, well, if that man's concerned about my soul, I think I should be concerned about my soul too. And before that day was out, that young boy gave his life to Christ. And D.L. Moody became one of the greatest preachers that America ever has known. It all started with an unknown Sunday school teacher that most people in the Christian church would not even know to this day young 15-year-old boy making his way through Colchester in a snowstorm to go to his church. He wasn't saved, but he was going to church. The snow was so bad and the storm was so great that he ducked into another church that was closer, Little Methodist Church. There might have been a dozen people in it because they couldn't get to church either. And he sat and watched because he was a visitor and He saw a few men around the front discussing what they were going to do. Would they cancel the service? Nobody else was going to come. Would they make it home before the snow got any worse? But one of the elders, a man called John Eglin. Again, the church does not even know this man. And he wasn't a great preacher. In fact, he wasn't even a preacher. But he was an elder. And he decided, well, we'll have to do something. We're here and there's a visitor here. So he got up and he preached from Isaiah 45. Look unto me all ye ends of the earth and be saved. <laughs> that was about the summation of his preaching. It wasn't much. But that young boy listened and it was like an arrow to his heart. And that young boy at 15 years old gave his life to Christ. And young C.H. Spurgeon that young boy, by the time he was twenty, he was preaching to the biggest church in London. He was preaching by his twenty-two. He was preaching to crowds of ten thousand people. His church was a mega church of his day. His church seated five thousand, with room for a thousand to stand, and it was never any less than that in it. Several services to get the people in. At twenty-two, it all started by just an ordinary believer doing what seemed something ordinary to do just share a scripture but it had extraordinary results it was a unique moment actually in the history of the church and so we may be ordinary but God can ask us to do unique things in spite of our ordinariness look at his preparedness And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Reminds me a little Samuel saying, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. But God had been preparing this man for a long time. He had been a believer for a long time. And God had been quietly but determinately preparing him for this moment. Just like those five stones that lay in the bottom of that brook. When David had to fight Goliath and he had to go to that stream and pick out five smooth stones. Those stones weren't smooth when they first found their way into that stream. How long were they there? Who knows? Maybe generations they lay there. But they lay there getting prepared, getting the rough edges knocked off, getting prepared till David came and put his hand upon them and took them out of that stream and put them in his bag and went and he slew Goliath. Here is a disciple hidden away in the great city of Damascus. Not even knowing he was waiting on anything, but God was preparing him all of that time for this moment when God would put his hand in his life and given this very special, unique job to do. And that's what God does often in our lives. Often, He prepares us way in advance for what He wants to do. You remember the woman who came with the alabaster box of spikenard? Very precious, very costly. And no doubt she had been adding to that box for years. Maybe from she was a young teenager. Maybe preparing for her wedding day. Or maybe for an investment. Or maybe for a nest egg. Not knowing that what she was preparing, that actually God was preparing her. And God was preparing her for that moment when His Son would come. And just before He would go to the cross, that she would take it in her heart to break that box that she had very diligently saved up, to go and to break it over him. And the aroma would be all over his clothes and all over his hair and all over his body. And they said, this is a waste. This should have been given to the poor. And remember what Jesus said. She has done this against the day of my burial. She didn't know anything about his burial." She just did it out of sheer love. This was something that she was preparing for years, not knowing that God was preparing her with that to lavish on his own son before he went to that cross. So God takes us ordinary people. He's something unique for us to do. And he prepares us for it. I think that it's lovely to think that at some point in our future, not that he hasn't done it in the past for he has, but in our future that God is still preparing us for future days to do things that maybe we never imagined. I was looking at Martin preaching last week in Ukraine in that rehabilitation center. And a number of years ago, he never would have imagined in a million years that he would be standing in a foreign country, speaking through an interpreter, speaking to drug addicts and prostitutes and homeless people and seeing them saved. That God had been preparing him for years, for that day, for that moment, for that trip, for that hour to change those lives. There's a wee man in the church when I was there and I was saying to the fellas, and I'm I'm 99.9% sure that one of the trips I had made that he walked down the aisle one Sunday morning reeking, stinking of booze and fags and he came down to the front and gave his life to Christ and he's still going on today and he's testifying of the goodness of God. See, you never know what God's got in store for you. And right now he's preparing you for it. And he's getting you ready. Maybe to meet somebody this week. Maybe somebody this week that you will meet. And you will speak a word in season. And you will share the gospel. And that will be their moment. God is continually preparing us for these things. Notice his willingness. Verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, go your way. And verse 17, Ananias went his way. This was no easy task he was asked to do. He had no prior experience. He had never done anything like this ever before. This was way out of his comfort zone. Has God ever taken you way out of your comfort zone? Because we all have a comfort zone, don't we? You know, we, we, we all have areas that we're happy to do. And if God would ask us to do that, well, we're happy to do that because I can do that. But what if He asked you to do something that's way out of your comfort zone? <laughs> would you still be willing? You see, preparedness is not so much aptitude, but attitude. It's an attitude of willingness when I was called into ministry many, many, many years ago, I remember looking around the church that I was in and looking at older men, to me, much more gifted, talented people, long-standing Christians, and all the rest of it. And I remember going to a lady in the church at that time and said, look, and saying what I've just said to you, look at all these men, look at all, and they're all, and I felt so inadequate that I was being called into ministry, looking at all of those who've been saved for years. And she said to me, But the difference is, David, you're willing. You're willing to do this. And that was the only difference that I could see that I was willing to do it. And so oftentimes it's just our willingness that God wants. It's temperament more than our talent. It's more to do with the will than the work. Are you willing? If God asks you and he takes you out of your comfort zone, are you willing to do it? This was no easy task. But he was willing to do it. Look at his devoutness. Chapter 22, verse 12 said, a devout man according to, to the law. That's a nice testimony to have, isn't it? A devout man according to the law. This man loved the word of God. He loved the law of God. He loved the book. He was a man of the book. And the people knew that. There was something about this man that people recognized that's a man of the book. He's a devout man of the law. He loved the The word of God. And he loved the word. The law of God was his delight. The psalmist said. It is more precious. Than fine gold. It is sweeter. Than the honey. In the honeycomb. (laughs) Do you love the word of God? Are you devout according to the law? Is the word of God only something you think about on Sunday? Sunday or do you meditate on it during the week? Do you go to bed some nights with the Word of God in your mind and in your heart? Some nights I can't get asleep because I'm thinking, and it's not just I'm thinking about sermons. Very often I am, and I can't get asleep. Sometimes it's just the Word of God, it just lodges in your mind, and you're mulling it over, and you're chewing the cud as it were, and you're saying, Lord, what does that mean? Why did you say that? What was the point of that? Because you love the law of the Lord. He loved his Lord. The Lord, the, the world had no claim in his life. He was completely sold out to God. This was a devout man according to the law. Look at his uprightness. The same verse 22, verse 12. Having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Here's a man who could hold his head up in the community. Here's a man who's Walked matched his talk. Here was a man who was, in a sense, a walking sermon. People said, unbelievers don't read the Bible, they read us. And to a certain extent, that's true, isn't it? Sometimes all they're going to know about the Lord Jesus Christ is what they see in us. So if we're a walking sermon to them, then that's good, isn't it? Are you a living epistle? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, we mentioned that scripture just two weeks ago. You remember I told you how that he left Corinth and he wanted to go back and some of them in the church who was against him said, well, give us letters of recommendation from somebody for us. And he says, but you're my letter. You're my epistle written in my heart. He says, God, used me to win you to Christ. He says, you're a letter open and read of all men, written not with ink but with the Spirit of God, not in tables of stone but tables of the heart. In other words, you are a walking, living sermon. And he says, it was me that won you to Christ. Never forget that. (laughs) Paul could be rough at times, couldn't he? He could be pretty straight preaching. We may be just an ordinary Christian. But if we love the Lord and we love his word and we're devout and we walk uprightly, then we become a walking sermon for others to see and to hear. They want to know if our lives are lived right, don't they? Hmm? We can preach all we want at them, but at the end of the day, if you work with them, they want to know, are you walking right or is it just talk? And if we're walking right, then that sends a message, doesn't it? That preaches a sermon to them. Yes, we should witness. Yes, we should physically talk to them. But if our lives is not living it out, then all the talk's not going to work, is it? Look at his graciousness. In chapter 9, verse 17, when he comes, first thing he says is, Brother Saul. (laughs) Brother Saul. He had heard many things about this man. How much evil he had done to the saints who had the ability and the authority to bind all who called upon the name of the Lord and take them off to jail. He had heard this report. And yet when he came to him, he called him Brother Saul. How gracious is that? The binder was now to become a brother. The persecutor was to become the preacher. Sinner was to become the saint. His enemy was to become his ally. The tormentor of man was to become a teacher of man. And then I, I think there's an irony in this. In verse 17, he says, Brother Saul and putting his hands on him. <laughs> There's a irony in this because three days before, Saul was coming to put his hands on him for a different reason, to drag him off, put him into jail. Saul was coming to lay hands on all those Christians and persecute them. But here is this man, under orders from Christ himself, coming to put his hands, to lay his hands on on Saul brother Saul and he lays his hands on him that he might receive his sight I think it's very gracious you know he was a bit when he got the word that he was to go to this man he obviously felt a little bit frightened and scared who wouldn't be knowing what he knew about this man but whenever the Lord gave him that vision Whenever the Lord spoke to him, and whenever he got to meet him, he said, brother Saul, you are now my brother in Christ. No matter what you have done, no matter what your past has been, even though you were a murderer and a sense, even though you stood and consented on Stephen's death, but he says, now you are my brother. Gracious man. Look at his boldness. Verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you. In a way, maybe he was testing him here. He was declaring the Lordship of Jesus, knowing that this man passionately hated Jesus, knowing that this man passionately hated everyone who declared the lordship of Jesus. That's what Saul was like. But Saul's a different man now. But he comes and he immediately declares the lordship of Jesus. Maybe he was testing a little bit. Is this genuine? Has he really got a hold of this? Is he really changed? Is he really a saved man? Well, he was going to find out pretty quickly when he declared the lordship of Jesus. And so he said, The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto you. Stephen, at his stoning, declared the lordship of Jesus. Just before he died, he looked up unto heaven. He says, I see the Lord standing at the right hand of God. He was declaring the lordship of Jesus. It takes a lot of boldness sometimes to declare the Lordship of Jesus. I was reading just this afternoon about an American evangelist, uh, Chris Franz, F-R-A-N-Z. And he was invited to go to Ethiopia and to preach the gospel there. But when he got there, he discovered that the area that he was to preach in, was 90% Muslim. Not only that, but there was a Muslim terrorist group in that neighborhood that had been killing people and had been killing volunteer workers that had come in for humanitarian aid. The pastor of the church that invited him told him, I haven't put a poster up in 20 years. He was so frightened. But he said, since you're coming, i put posters up. And so this pastor said that on the night of the first meeting he said we already had threats. The pastor had threats. We had threats. There was already this group out there somewhere that could come at any moment and shoot us. So he says I felt some trepidation. But he says I got up to preach the gospel and as I started to preach the gospel he says the power of God came. And the fire of God came. And in the middle of preaching the gospel, he says, this thought came to me. I haven't got an ounce of fear in my body. It just came to me like that. And he says, I hadn't. And he says, I'd no sooner thought that thought till I heard a scream from behind me somewhere and a whole commotion. And it was two young women. And I mean young, only about 14 years old. And I wonder, what, I said, Pastor, what is happening? He says, one of them was blind, and now they can see. And he said, it was a 14-year-old who had been blind from she was three years old. And the night before, she had a dream that God was going to move in that service and touch her life. And she came with her stick. She had to be guided there. And she stood there. And as she stood there, and as he was preaching, suddenly... Her eyes opened up and she could see everything and she jumped and cried and her friend jumped and cried with her. The whole place erupted. He says, I never felt as bold in my life because he was declaring the Lordship of Jesus. And sometimes we have to declare the Lordship of Jesus among our family and our friends and our loved ones and our neighbors and our workplace And maybe you feel a little bit afraid. Well, this man, he was bold. He declared the lordship of Jesus. Peter at Pentecost declared the lordship of Jesus, didn't he? Then look at his humility. Verse 17 The Lord sent me. Here's a recognition of his dependability upon the Lord. If the Lord hadn't have sent him, he wouldn't have been there. Wild horses couldn't have dragged him into the company of Saul of Tarsus. But he says, the Lord sent me. And because the Lord sent him, he went. And if the Lord sends us, we go. And it may just be to the next door neighbor. Maybe just to that person you work beside every day maybe to that school friend. But if the Lord sends us, we go. And we recognize, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I don't have it in me. I need your strength. I need your help. I need your courage. I need your support. And you can be sure that's the attitude this man went in. Even though he had the vision, even though the Lord appeared to him, he still had to go and face him. And so, in his humility, he said, the Lord has sent me. If we're humble before the Lord, if we recognize that we cannot do it on our own strength, if we can only do it in his grace, then you may be surprised how God will lead you and who he'll send you to if we're humble enough. Mentioned a moment ago, the great sea at Spurgeon. It was said that often he was heard as he climbed up to the pulpit to the biggest church at that time, probably in the world. He's a young man of 22. And often he was heard saying, Oh God, help me. Here was the prince of preachers. Here was the greatest preacher that England has ever known. But his dependency was on the Lord. And he was humble enough to say, Oh God, help me. Ananias, just an ordinary believer. But God chose him to go and lay hands on who was to become the greatest apostle that ever lived. When Billy Graham walked up that aisle as a young man old Mordecai Ham was the old evangelist. And Billy Graham walked up that aisle him and two other young men and Mordecai Ham led him to the Lord. He didn't know he'd be leading to the Lord that day a man that would reach untold millions to Christ. Who's Mordecai Ham? Hardly any believers ever heard tell of him. That God used that man that night to reach that young man for Christ. Larry Tomzak is a man about 64. He's he's over 40 years of ministry. He was very famous at the time, Larry Tomzak. And he said that when he was just a young man, he met Billy Graham in the lobby of a hotel. He says, I'm just a young minister. Met met Billy Graham, so he says, went over to him, started to talk to him. <laughs> Try to get a little bit of conversation going. And he says, I'll never forget, whenever I was leaving him, he says, Billy Graham held up his Bible, and he says, with those piercing blue eyes, he looked right at me and he said, son, he said, stick with this book. Stick with this book. And he says, "For the rest of my life, I stuck with the book." And God used Larry Tomzak, and still using him to this day, in great ways all across the United States, because he stuck with the book. We're just ordinary believers, aren't we? that God can use us to do extraordinary things. Not just the people who stands on platforms. But you, where you are, where we will never be, God can use you for his glory. He's preparing you. He's getting you ready. Tomorrow could be the day. (laughs) It could be the day when God says, this person, that thing, today. And all of that preparation will come into place And God will use you. Do you believe that tonight? That's why these stories are in the Bible. To encourage us as ordinary believers. Let's pray.